Happy New Year, everyone. I'm Ryan Estriato, one of the co-hosts of the ED&D podcast. And on today's episode, we have the San Diego County Office of Education's very own Mara Madrigal-Weiss and Heather Nimor. I learned a lot on this episode, particularly about the challenges and rewards of authenticity, which is something I've been thinking a lot about. My favorite part is where Mara shares her framework called HUGS. These are not literal hugs, but the acronym HUGS. You'll have to listen on to hear what that stands for, but I promise it's brilliant. To learn more about the Equity, Disproportionality, and Design Project, visit our website at equityanddesign.com, sign up for our email newsletter, and we'll send you free equity resources once a month. Okay, enough from me. Enjoy our conversation with Mara Madrigal-Weiss and Heather Nimor. Welcome, everyone. I am Erin Mahoney, an executive consultant here with the AD&D team at the South County SELPA, and I am so excited to be talking today with two guests, Ms. Mara Madrigal-Weiss and Heather Namor. Before we get started, though, I want to take a moment to introduce our AD&D team. Hello, Marcus. How are you doing today? Doing fine, Erin. How are you doing? Good. And we have with us as well, Olivia Rivera. Olivia, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Aaron. And Ryan Estrellado, how are you doing? Doing fine. Thanks, Aaron. Well, thank you so much, team. And so now I want to take a moment to just introduce our two incredible guests that we have. Our first guest today is Ms. Mara Madrigal-Weiss, Executive Director of Student Wellness and School Culture with the San Diego County Office of Education. Her experience includes working with school communities as a family case manager, a protective service worker, and a family resource center director. She has been dedicated to promoting student mental health and wellness for over 19 years and has presented at workshops across the nation for education and other youth-serving partners. Welcome, Mara. So much, Erin. Glad to be here. And our second guest with us today is Heather Namor, Program Specialist, Student Wellness and School Culture for the San Diego County Office of Education. Ms. Namor supports the 42 school districts and schools across the county and is involved in a variety of countywide and statewide efforts in suicide prevention, mental health and wellness, and a positive school climate. Welcome, Heather. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you here with us today. And as we start all of our podcasts, I just want to lead just to help us get to know you. Can you tell us your journey into getting into the education field? I'd love to start with you, Mara. All right. So where did it all begin? Well, let's see. I originally started working with schools. Um, I had the honor of serving as a family resource center coordinator and that started in the South Bay here in San Diego County. And so opened um, Family Resource Center down in South Bay. And then I started working for the Chula Vista Community Collaborative where I opened two family resource centers, Rayo de Esperanza and Luz del Sol Family Resource Center. And that was just a great honor. And I worked very closely with schools. And so one of the things that I quickly saw and quickly learned is that and the referrals, all the referrals that we got for our students was this child needs counseling, this child needs work, this child needs to be fixed. This is, you know, so I, I thought, well, you know, we're getting a lot of the referrals out and it was just a constant push out. And so I thought, let me go into the schools and see what's going on within the school climate, within the school culture. And how can we work, work with our educators to, to really create those systems within the school that would support our students. And so 
one of the things that I found is that it was a, a usually an us versus them. So when we were the outside referring party, it was, um, you know, the perception that we didn't really truly understand because we weren't the educator. And so I got a position with the San Diego County Office of Education about 16 years ago. And I was hired as a project specialist and I was, my work was intended to really build collaborative relationships between partners and school districts. And so I really fell in love with that role and decided that I would go back to school to get that um, certificate and become a school counselor. So I did that. And so now I'm an educator. So, you know, I started, I was saying the same thing, but now I had that credential. And so I was seen differently. And as I stayed in education, I decided to pursue, um, you know, further my education in education and got my educational leadership um, master's and then went into administration. And so that really was my journey. And I think it was just really important. I fell in love with prevention and intervention. And it's important, you know, using... I think the message has been the same, but I'm going to use whatever tool I need to to ensure that we are creating those systems that are serving our students. So whether I have the educational, you know, that credential or whether I, you know, I had my master's in human behavior, whatever it takes to make sure that I'm having influence in those school communities is what I did. And so that's really how I entered the field of education. So thanks for asking. That was a good trip down memory lane there. <laughs> a lot of schooling, but it was well worth it. So thanks for asking that, Erin. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm sure we'll touch a little bit more. Well, I'm excited actually to touch more on that piece about how you integrate and support in a collaborative way with schools around mental health and wellness. Um, but before we go down that journey, I would love to hear a little bit of your story as well, Heather. Yeah, thank you. So um, really fresh out of graduate school, I, I got my um, master's in sociological practice, and it's such a broad field. It's applied sociology, so it's a culmination of human service delivery, um, evaluation, and program design, and um, uh, grant writing, and um, implementations of programs, and all all of this. And I always thought, what am I going to do with this degree? It's so broad. I worked so hard to get it, but I was so gifted because I found this perfect job working for the Community Collaborative in Chula Vista, and I was um, hired to um, be uh, kind of the person to conduct the needs assessment in the community and to to really collect all the data and to write the grants to have seed money to implement family resource centers on school campuses. And so I did that for 18 years. <laughs> and that position um, evolved every year. It was almost like I was in a different position every few years because um, it was an evolving position. So similar to Mata, what she was talking about, um, being able to um, kind of, you know, work with the, um, in the beginning, wrote grants, brought in different um, uh, staff, and Mata was one of the directors, but we wrote grants to have these resource centers, and we were so successful, we ended up having five grants with five resource centers. So um, with um, with that, looking at how do we serve the, all 70 schools in the South Bay, and so uh, really worked to create integrated systems for supporting 
student referrals from the schools and supporting the family. So um, beyond the family resource centers and building interdisciplinary teams at the centers, so, you know, child welfare is there and, um, you know, different service providers and social workers. And the idea is that, you know, you uh, family can go to the school campus and access all these resources under one roof as opposed to running all over town. Um, so bringing in bigger systems like health and human services and all of that. And then um, a lot of that led to just big initiatives and projects around you know, grassroots organizing with parents, um, doing work around asset mapping and, and uh, youth development projects, and um, really in the end being able to sustain the five family research centers and um, integrate with the schools. And then within the, that, I did a lot of work um, on a state and national level with the family strengthening and support field and developed standards um, of quality, standards of quality for family strengthening and support. So when we're working with families and engaging families, um, how do we do that in a shared, measured way where we know that it's um, high quality work? So a lot of involvement with that. And then um, I taught sociology at the surrounding community colleges uh, for about eight years during that same time frame. And then uh, finally ended up, loved working with Mata. She came and left working with the Family Research Centers. Her and I did a lot of collaborative projects with the schools and then saw eye to eye in so many ways, um, big picture uh, dreams we had. And so Mata went on to, to San Diego County Office of Ed and then the position opened up to um, work on a federal grant there, and I threw my name in the hat and applied uh, and ended up coming to county office um, about five and a half years ago and working on a federal grant, um, Project Calwell, which was really about you know mental health and school climate and a lot of the work we're doing now within our um, county schools. And so here I am. Thank you. Well, you, you both have so much experience um, it sounds like obviously just at more of the districts kind of on the ground in that South County. And now you're at the county level. What kind of lessons did you learn when you were originally in those family resource centers that you've been able to take to impact and touch and support families across our county? Have there been any big lessons or anything that, that you've learned? I think a, a lot of the lesson is just really becoming intimately involved with those that you're serving. And so I, I think, you know, a couple of things is it's really the name of service and excellence, right? So I think with the team, it's, you know, there's not a call that doesn't go by that we don't answer where I want my districts to feel like I'm sitting here waiting for that phone call. And it doesn't matter that I took 20 calls before that and that it's an exhausting day and you're answering all those emails but they don't need to know that. They are in the field. They are doing the hard work. They are face-to-face -face with the families, face-to-face -face with the students. And our job as a support at the County Office of Ed is to make sure that we're removing barriers so that they're doing that one-on-one -on -one work with our students' lives and our families. And so I think just in the name of service. So I think that is huge. I think getting to know our district partners in, in ways that they, they count on us. They rely on us. They're, you know, if we don't know the answers, we find the answers for them. So that is something that we take um, very seriously. We, you know, not only do we gather them, bring them together and, and host high quality professional development, high quality meetings. 
We have, you know, this year implemented um, drop-in office hours just so that they can share with us what's going on, what are the trends, what are you seeing, how can we help? So while we host those formal meetings where we bring resources to them, you know, those resources to them, we are off also just opening space. Um, we have gone through a lot as a community, as a county in these past 20 months, and it's not enough to just hold the same old, same old. We can't just keep doing the agendas that we've known to do. Um, we've never had something like this. And if you think that just doing business as usual is going to cut it, then already we're on the wrong path. So we've really started to, to reshape things. So offering those, those drop-in hours, um, calling out, you know, calling them, checking in on our, you know, whoever, whatever partnership or whatever group that you work with. So we work a lot with people services administrators. We work a lot with the counselors, with the school sites, with the social workers, and just anybody who, who you know, we think we need to do a, a double check on, right? And so I think that's important. So service is really important. I think also ensuring that when we talk with our, our school leaders, our school teachers, it's, it's really emphasizing a conversation around authenticity. You know, being sure that they're being authentic to one another, authentic to our families and authentic to our students. I think we have this great opportunity in what's happened recently to be okay with not being okay and really sharing that message. Um, you know, to think that we can turn on our screens and think that we're teaching, we need to be feeling first. And I think just, you know, emphasizing that message has been really important to us. So we should be doing that in, in, you know, even when we're not going through this pandemic, just the authenticity of, of you know, what's important and, and what's real. And so I think that goes back to, and I think Heather, you know, we say this all the time and I know it becomes even a cliche, but it is about the relationships. And so it's not just the relationships, you know, staff to student, but it's staff to staff. It's SDCOE, our team to those that we serve. So I think that's important too. And you know, I think those are important. So service, relationships, authenticity, all those things I think are really core to what I um, really emphasize with the team and what they model. And then excellence. There's not, you know, we, what we develop is not only shared here at the county office, but a lot of the work that this team has done has been lifted across the state. And, um, you know, that's, that's something to, to really be proud of. So whatever resources we develop, we share, of course, with our county office, but we also share with the CDE. And recently in the last, I wanna say last 12 months, we have gathered um, partners from across all 58 county offices of ed and have you know, continued to gather them to bring together conversations around mental health and wellness, which is the first time it's ever been done. So our county office is seen as taking the lead on that. So I think that's I don't know if that goes back to excellent service and authenticity. It kind of brings them all together. So that's kind of where I would add to that. You took my relationship one, but it, it <laughs> I'm, really sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, 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 I don't know. It. It's okay. No, I mean, every great project I've ever been involved in accumulated through a relationship. And Marcus and Olivia and Mata know that because we've done great things together. And all of um, all of the work um, back with the collaborative and at County Office of Ed, it's 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 about fo- taking time to really foster relationships and you know working back working at Chilvista with principals. I always remember you know in our um, going in to meet with them. It's like um, how you know oh how is so and so and you know engaging. It always starts with these conversations about family and how are you doing as a person and then we get to the school stuff but that that 
goes miles. And so I think um, the work Mata was talking about with even our statewide work with um, the county office of eds or our local work with our mental collaborative, um, we are, these relationships we're building over time are resulting in these um, beautiful outcomes, you know, uh, like doing a mental health webinar series with Scripps because we cult we fostered a relationship with someone at Scripps and it accumulated to this great webinar series we were able to offer across the county. So I could talk all day about relationships, but um, and not just relationships um, with us colleagues, but I, you know, everything goes back to the relationships in the school settings that we build with our students and then with um, each other as staff. But I would say also that I always remember in my um, last interview at county office, there was some question like that. And I said, the one thing I will never let myself forget is the stories of the families, because I think some uh, unique perspective we probably all bring to our job is we have seen the multiple perspectives of family, of student, community, um, district, school, and understanding just the incredible challenges that our students and families face in adversity and somehow end up at school. You know, you, you just wonder, how do they even make it to school? And then things like during the pandemic where, you know, I heard stories um, from my kids' friends about, you know, their internet going out and teachers accusing them of purposely um, not showing their video or disconnecting and hearing, you know, you just hearing the multiple perspectives and stories um, and really understanding that and bringing that to the work that we do today, not as making assumptions and really taking the time to understand not just what our students and families are going through, but what our school systems are going through and our educators are going through, being able to be compassionate and empathetic and responsive to all of those multiple um, perspectives and needs. So um, I always, those are some things that I just have always stuck out with me that I will not forget because, you know, it's, we're all at county office, that's great, but we also are a little bit disconnected from the work on the ground now. And so I think when you've, you know, when you know when you're in these jobs that are more more um, macro level, we have to remember the micro level work um, to keep us uh, attuned to our why and why we're doing this. And Heather, if I can, say, I'm sorry, Ryan. If I I just wanted to to add something to what Heather said. I think, you know, early on, one of the things that that we really pressed pause on is, you know, especially talking about uh, the pandemic and everything that happened is, you know, we in essence, barged into our families' lives with this. We told them, turn on your cameras, turn on your speaker. We didn't ask. We barged in without, with little consideration to what was going on. And that's, we wouldn't do that in real life. And so that's one of the first things that we did is we put together, you know, just a resource of a, a, a pause and consideration, right? These are the things that might be going on in your child's lives, in your students' lives. And so, you know, anytime we can reflect and pause, because there was so much going on. And, you know, it goes back to what Heather was saying, those individual stories. And yet, as a school system, we did what we know how to do. Turn on your camera, turn on your speaker, let's get to it. And for some, that was that caused even more hardship, even more trauma. So these are the things that we think about, you know, as, as a team, as, you know, all of our teams that we have under, under student wellness and school culture, these are the things that we really try to lift up into the conversations everywhere we go. 
that we have to be respectful and we have to put our students, you know, wellness first before anything else can happen. So we think about that for our students and also the staff serving our students. So I apologize, Ryan, please go ahead. No, 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 it's okay. I was, uh, I was thinking about something that you said earlier, Mara, about authenticity. It was, a uh, was one of the, the things that you brought up. And that's a topic I've been trying to unpack for myself personally and professionally lately. And so, and I know it can mean a lot of things. And so I've got a, just a couple of wonderings about that. The first is, how do you define that? Like, what's your take on it? That's like, that's one thing uh, I'm super curious about. And then the second is, why do you think that that is something that doesn't, uh, that we have to work towards in our line of work versus just having that be a normal and natural thing. Yeah. So I would say that authenticity, um, I think to be authentic is to just be real, to be true to what you're experiencing. And I think it's can be really frightening because you have to be vulnerable to be so you have to be vulnerable. So it doesn't matter what title you hold. It doesn't matter if you're leading a team of 40 or a team of five, you know, with whatever position we hold, there, there's a certain amount of, of authority, but whatever experience we're living, it's the human experience first. And so I think that that's what's really important. And as we went through, you know, these 20 months and everything that was going on, it affected all of us in different ways. It affected all of us. And so, you know, I, it was important for me to be true to my team members because there were days where, you know, I, I give one of the first stories was um, driving one of the first times down to Costco. And I think I talked about this in, in one of our first um, PDs was um, my tortoise. He needed a salad and I had to go to Costco because they sell it in bulk. And, you know, little man needed his romaine lettuce. And so I remember getting in my car, driving down Friars Road and there was no cars on the road and it was eerie. And I worried about, did I have my hand sanitizer? Did I have my mask? And I remember shaking and pulling over and tearing up. And as I talk about it, I get emotional, right? Because that's not normal. And so I talk about just how overwhelming that was. And to be able to say that to an audience of 50 people and people shaking their head, not many people were talking about that, right? We're acting like this is normal when it's far from normal. It's far from, so it's, if I can talk about it, then more people can have conversations like that. Or when you don't want to get out of bed and you have to Zoom another meeting and a teacher who's watching kids or hearing struggles, if that doesn't affect you, we didn't get in the business to hear kids struggle. We didn't get in the business to see somebody suffering. And yet, what do we do with that? So I think it's just about being vulnerable and then having conversations about that. I'm not saying that, you know, we want to be authentic so we can all just focus on, you know, we're not therapists. I'm not trying to say we'd be therapists, but I am trying to say I'm having a hard time. And so one of the things that was really important for me to do is to reach out to every one of my team members. It did not matter to me what your title was. I reached out to each and every one of them. And again, not the therapist, but I, I enough to know how you doing checking in with your family, anything I can do for you. And I will tell you just the fact that they know that I care enough to ask those questions. And if you're having a tough day, reach out to me. And I wanted all my managers to support all the teams to know that it's okay to do that. So that's being real. That's being authentic. And it does, there's, there's days where, you know, I know I'm not on my game and there's days where I can tell, you know, we're not on our game, but there's, there's so much, 
strength and supporting one another through that. So I, I wish more of us, you know, we, we all get there when we get there, right? And some of us have some really tough things. Um, you know, I've had loss in my family. I have family members dealing with mental health issues. And then yet I sit here and I talk about them. And, and there's some days where, you know, we co-train, which is a good thing. I do a lot of co-training with Heather. And there's some slides where, oh, this might be a little tough, you know. So, But those are the real things that we need to be talking about because I will say this. For as much as they're suffering, there's also goodness. And so it all balances out, right? And so these are the conversations, I think, because we are in education, our job isn't to just teach academics. It's to teach and model about life. And so these are the conversations that I think are also important. And so with everything that happened, I also, you know, as much as we struggled, there was also great opportunity in being able to have these conversations with our students about the good days, about the bad days, you know, letting them just pour some of their, you know, pour that cup, right? The whole analogy for a little bit, you know, Ernie Mendez, we all know the Ernie Mendez, and I know it's a podcast, and I'm sorry if you don't know Ernie Mendez, he says, empty the cup. And so empty the cup to give them a little more that. space. <laughs> yeah, right, right, there you go. So, um, so yeah, I hope that answered your I, question. But Ryan. I also think, um, Brian, it goes, I think the hardest part I mean, of our, our job is um, stigma and the, the stigma that exists with mental health. And, it's it's been tough and pre-covid it's it's it was a huge stigma even now it's a huge stigma and you know when we used to train in youth mental health first aid we don't our question you guys that have gone know this will say how many in the room have mental health raise your hand and very few would do it and they would it just consistently this happens what do you mean mental health like good mental health or bad mental health and I'm not going to answer raise my hand until you define it for me and i'll raise it if you're I, they are so confused to you. Okay. Do you all have physical health? Yes. You all have mental health. It's so hard for them to accept, to really understand that and accept it. And so if that's what we're dealing with, um, just with our adults and education, it's really, and the students are the ones who actually are, have way, you know, they're ready to talk about it and get real and so forth. But there's, there's just been a lot of work around, I think stigma and learning to just have the being human first and being authentic with that. So it's a process. Hopefully we're making some headway with that and understanding that um, once we can, you know, get rid of the stigma, reduce the stigma, we can start having these honest conversations. The thing I appreciate about, about you both is that um, I remember uh, going back to authenticity, um, Mara, I remember you coming to a school district and the room was filled with over 100 individuals, with school psychologists, and there were principals. And you came in and you talked about mental health. You talked about uh, suicide prevention and all these components that people probably were not ready to hear. But when you spoke, you got everyone's attention. And I think that that was influential in terms of uh, just turning things around in that particular district because people didn't want to talk about that at the time. Um, when both of you guys, uh, both of you uh, ladies speak, you speak about um, the whole child. You speak about the whole person and always having that lens, which is powerful because it's not just about a moment, but it's about what are we doing currently and what are we doing and planning to do afterwards and just having this whole process tied in. And that's powerful. And that's what uh, schools need to hear, uh, particularly from the, from the district office down to the school site, to parents and then the community members. So, 
your uh, work with the um, the community collaboratives. I mean, that to me is that foundation because because it connects the school with the resources that are out there. And then it also um, just builds this united bond among the services that are available for any particular school district. So that's powerful to me. Thanks, Marcus. I I think um, at that time, too, I I said, if you don't get up every single day and love on these kids, um, let me help you find something else to do. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I will help somebody find another job if I have to help write those resumes. Right. It's too important. And every single day is too important to not to not be doing that exactly that. So I, I'll never forget when you said that to me. So yeah, absolutely agree. That used to be my favorite line when we trained back in the day in real person, <laughs> real life. <laughs> yeah, and Heather'd be like, she means it too. <laughs> I do, I do. Um, Heather, you brought up uh, Project Cowell. And once again, that was a foundation. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Project Cowell and what it did to um, Influence that district to where what it what it does now today in terms of uh, uh, PBIS. Oh yeah, well yeah, wow, definitely. I mean, Project Cowell was um, a federal grant um, through um, the um, SAMHSA. God, it feels like so long ago. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, it was a five year grant, and we um, it was a there was two layers to it. It was a countywide piece to it. And then there were three districts that we uh, worked more intensely with, which were um, Warner, Mountain Empire, and Chula Vista Elementary. And so um, uh, um, we not only did the PBIS piece, but also um, we did a work around suicide prevention and mental health promotion and all that you're looking at me trauma informed practices i'm trying to remember mata what was the um PBIS, restorative practices yeah and trauma and trauma yeah but within that we also did work around suicide prevention and other areas so um the um what ha- so the work that came out of that we really saturated the county in training as many um schools as possible in youth mental health first aid and getting uh Uh, staff certified in that and then we also did a lot of training around restorative practices and then of course PBIS and then we um, brought in the um, Swiss and getting really building the capacity of the school districts to um, be able to support schools around using database decision making with behavior and using that data to drive programming and so a lot of that work ended up i think really building the capacity of the cowell districts to now we know they're they've all um, are carrying on that work through coordinating it at the district level and um you know i remember Marcus, back when we worked so closely together, and I always tell Mata, God, I I'm, I don't do Swiss anymore, but she's like, that's that was the intention. It's not for us to come, you know, be the saviors and come help you do this and that. The good work is we were able to build the capacity so they could carry the work on and uh, sustain the work without when the grant goes away. So I think that's success in itself. And the reason I was thinking suicide prevention is because I, when I think how well, um, one of the districts, we, um, the superintendent really dedicated this whole mental health thing and, and took a professional development day and said, 
This is going to be Mental Health Day. Everyone in the school district is getting certified and trained in youth mental health first aid. And that was the first district in the state to do so. And I think they were incredible role models for that. And how powerful to have all of these staff in a whole district trained to be caring eyes and ears on their students, to know the warning signs, to know what to be looking out for, to know how to approach a student, to know how to, even if it's just a warm handoff. And so um, we tracked Chick's data over those five years to see if we moved the needle, and we did. We um, School climate improved, and um, suicidal ideation went down, and in particular, that one district that trained all their, their school district staff um, it went down 9%, which um, feeling the suicidal ideation and stuff. So um, so we have some powerful data to tell the story, um, but those are just some, some you know, highlights, not all. <laughs> but yes, so thank you, Marcus. That was, um, and thank you for your support in that project because you were able to help build that capacity as well. I, di I didn't mean to shake my head, Heather. You were right on. I was... No, no, you. I couldn't remember the um, the three things. I knew. Oh, I know, right, right, right. Because I had this whole we're thing. New, like, we're new Trauma is the lens. Restorative approach. PBIS is the framework. Yeah, because yes. right? yeah. everybody knows something. They're like, not one more thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah, right? right. Yeah. So that's right. Last to the past. <laughs> Total value. Before COVID, feels like a time lapse. Like. Another world. <laughs> we lost time. I know for sure. It's it's so interesting, and and I I mean just from experience, I actually remember these trainings as an administrator in one of those districts. Really? And yes, I do. Um, and in being able to just learn and have that focus on student mental health, I think um, something you both touched on before is that relationship piece and how critically important that is to just connect with our students on what in whatever way and whatever capacity we we can so that they know that there's somebody at school that that cares about them that they can go to and I think it's so incredible when we have the opportunity to learn from from experts like you and to to be able to actually um, see the, I hope you guys have seen the fruits of your labor in just any school sites that you visited. I know that that work really impacted me as a leader. And um, I'm just kind of curious. I know right now more than ever, um, our students and our teachers and our administrators are are desperate for, for more and more resources. Um, like you said, we want to get rid of that stigma. We want to provide whatever we want to provide those supports for our students and for, for our staff as well. If there was something that you could share where somebody could go to ask for that support, are there resources, trainings, what kind of places could an educator um, go or could an educator even direct a parent or a community member to go to, to get that type of mental health and wellness support? Well, <laughs> well, where do we begin? Yeah, I would say the team guide to mental health and wellness motto um, our, that our team developed. It's and it's we have been sharing that far and wide. 
but during COVID, um, we are we were really concerned about all of the students who were now stuck at home in various situations uh, where uh, one thing we knew is that the students knew more about what's going on in each other's lives than us adults did. Even now that we're back in school, they know more. And when Mata and I participate in county or state level um, focus groups um, or, or um, committees where youth are involved, we, we clearly hear them saying over and over again that, you know, adults are great, but we prefer to get support from our friends, our peers. So um, why not build up the mental health literacy of students? They want it. When we were back in Calwell doing the Youth Mental Health First Aid training, in some of the districts, the students were like, saw the flyer and were like, can I go to that? And they couldn't because it, 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 they weren't old enough. But they've been wanting this pre-COVID. And so why not provide them with the tools, the information, the resources that can support themselves, their peers, their loved ones, their family members. So a lot of work we've done is to build that up. So the Teen Guide to Mental Health and Wellness is um, a um, one-page back-to-back document that provides um, different warm lines and hotlines that they can access. It provides personalized mental health resources, all the free apps that they're able to tap into coping skills and being able to check in and see where they're at and how to um, you know navigate their feelings and emotions there's anxiety apps there's apps to build um, hope right because so much of um, our students have loss of hope and so the virtual hope box and all of these things so basically we created this guide that you click on each of any of these things and it takes you to that resource or do a youth mental health screening. They can do a self-screening themselves um, through Mental Health America, and they click on that. So that guide's kind of been, we redo it every year to make it current and relevant, and we vet all those resources um, that um, we share out. So that that's something not only students, but also parents can have at their fingertips. And then one thing we started doing too last year and this year is um, we do a lot of trainings for schools around anxiety or cultivating resilience and mental strength and all of these things. But we um, parallel it for parents because we believe parents should receive the same information, the same knowledge, the same coping strategies as we're sharing with our um, educators. So we've been doing um, countywide trainings for parents um, as well as the educators. We also, we have a webpage that has resources um, that really highlights resources by youth for youth. So there's a lot of different groups that have been developing those. We worked closely with um, one of our local high schools where that was a project for a whole semester. And so that is on our um, student wellness and school culture webpage. And then just recently we launched our um, SDCOE virtual wellness center. So there's tons of resources there. And the intent was to always create them for children, teens and adults. So um, once you go to that, you'll see the links to all the resources. And we also break them out for our parents, for our staff members, for whole school systems, and then um, again, for our, our youth. So um, I don't know how we can get that to you, but we can make sure that you have that information to send that out to everybody. So. Absolutely. I think we would definitely love to be able to put that in our, our show notes and things like that so that people have that resource. Yeah. That, that would sound incredible. So 
I have another question and it's kind of on this topic of, I know all the work that that y'all have been doing around mental health and I'm kind of curious, you talked about hope a bit and we want to make sure our students have hope. And I know as, as educators as well, we have to hold on to that hope too. And so what are some hopes that you have for education in the next few years? Do you have anything in particular? That it completely gets revamped. <laughs> Crisis is, brings opportunity. <laughs> what do you mean by, like, I mean, tell, tell us a little bit more. I'm curious as to what you hope gets revamped. I, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I mean, I think that um, there, there, I, the one silver lining in, in the pandemic is mental health has risen to the top for, as a priority for staff, for students, and, um, and so that's a good thing. And I think, you know, I, we've talked about relationships, and we all know a student doesn't lear- care about learning unless they know their teacher cares about them. And, how, you know, schools have, there's just so much opportunity for schools to be able to build relationships with students to, I mean, to build amazing relationships with students and to um, normalize mental health and just understand that academics, you know, back in the FRC days, the Family Research Center days, it was, you know, a school, a whole child, um, Marcus mentioned, we know a, a student can't go to school and be ready to learn if they don't have food on the table, if they don't have a roof over their head. Um, if they're in a domestic violence household, whatever it may be, that all of that impacts their learning. And I think we know now with all of the, the research and, and evidence around SEL and um, all the good work we've been doing that um, it's so much of all of the stuff we're talking about all leads to better academics. But sometimes the focus is the, the priority seems like it's first academics, then all that other stuff. So I think things are starting to change around that. Um, but to to be able to create caring school climate, I think is critically important. When you look at Chick's data and you look at the percentage of students that say that they have a caring adult on campus that they can go to, it's, it's, it's low and it's not getting better. And um, so I think there's so much opportunity to change how we do things and, you know, is, um, you know, how we um, assess students uh, with, you know, I was just reading an article about, I've been reading a couple articles about how we're moving away from standardized testing, um, not just in uh, um, secondary, but also in college um, testing and all of that, to looking at other ways of, of assessing students. And so I there's just a lot. But anyway, in the end, I think just realizing that mental health and wellness of the whole school community is equally important as academics. That's my hope. That's a good hope. I like that hope. I, I, I would say that, um, you know, it's a tongue twister. There's so many thoughts. I, I guess what I would say is this. If we profess that we care about the whole child, then we need to teach to the whole child. So education should, we need to have a balance of both. We speak that, you know, we profess the whole child, but we teach to academics. We don't teach to the whole child. So we need to offer up 
those supports around mental health and wellness. We need to teach around those things. We need to teach those basic life skills. We need to teach, you know, collaboration. We need to teach communication. We need to teach what is healthy. We need to teach when you should worry, when we have concerns, those things that get us through life, right? Which is goes way beyond the academics. So what are those skills that are going to help us succeed in life? We need to find that balance. We need to listen to our students. You know, students ask them what they want to learn because it's certainly not what we're necessarily doing now. You know, we can ask ourselves, how's that working for you so far? And let's just look at our graduation rates and what's happening. I know there's a whole host of things going on, but education needs to, in my humble opinion, really become more service oriented. Every other industry is about service. And yet we have the most precious commodity and we are a large discipline and we are not in the name of service necessarily. So listening to our students, really coming from that framework of serving our students. And so that is valuing, asking them what they wanna learn, really shaping that and, and doing it in ways to honor that they already come with so much knowledge in so many ways. And then we can shape and work with that. So honoring the knowledge that, that exists there and, and really making it, you know, making these incredible educational opportunities valuing the gift that our students already bring us before they enter the classroom because they are gifts each and every one of them so that's my hope and what that looks like I don't know I'm not I'm not the brilliant ones <laughs> you know I just share with the <laughs> with the thought so that is my hope and I did want to share this um um you know as we go forward I shared this at a conference and and I did a um I did a welcoming at a conference and this was like I don't know two or three years ago but you know, I get my best thoughts in the shower, right? When you're feeling all up, great day, right? You know what I'm talking about, Ryan. So you, you get these great thoughts. And I thought, you know, as we move forward, what do we need to do? And, and so I had shared this, um, I thought we need to give hugs, right? Appropriate hugs, right? But we need to give hugs. It's this metaphor, right? And it's an acronym. We need to model humility, you know, just be humble because we don't know what we don't know. And we need to just be open to humility. And we need to have understanding, understanding for, you know, those around us, understanding of self. I think there's so much that we need to learn from, reflect on ourselves and just have that understanding. And then grace towards self, towards others, and then finally do everything in the name of service. And so that's my hugs, right? Humility, understanding, grace, and in the name of service. So I hope we can continue to give each other hugs, our own self hugs, each other hugs, and and just go with that. And so Heather's heard that one before, but you'll hear it again. There you go. Get more hugs, Heather. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm for hugs. Yeah. Heather likes the hugs. Team likes the hugs. So there we are. Hey, wait, I'm going to put it on a bumper sticker. And put I, no, so. I love <laughs> it. I think, I think it's just, um, you know, just an incredible way to think about how we can continue to take what we've learned in these past 20 months and put it into real practice on a daily basis in a tangible, easy way. I mean, hugs, that's, I mean, I'm going to use that now. I love that. That's so um, just real, a real way to make an impact on a daily basis. I always say just one student or one person, like, what can I do to make one, one other individual's life a little bit better? If it means that I do, you know, give them some grace, give myself grace, you know, understand where they're coming from, take on their perspective, whatever I can do. So I really appreciate that little nugget. And I think it's actually a, a great kind of way to start to wrap up our conversation today. Um, we're so excited to have you both. And 
I want to kind of end our conversation with something a little bit fun. Um, We like to take a few minutes just to get to know our guests or have them share just a little bit of their personal kind of nugget about themselves. Um, And so I, I threw on a few different questions this, this week with our, or this month with our podcast. I'm, I'm curious, what is a book that you're reading that's not work related? Mata, she must know we are book lovers. <laughs> oh, I didn't. It, we actually planned like totally a backup question in case we ah. weren't book readers. Oh, so, the, problem, um, the problem is time. I have stacks of books I want to read and I just stare at them and rarely get to them. But um, the one that I've actually started, it's kind of an intense book, but it's not work related that I've been slowly reading is um, called Lessons from the Light. And it's about, it's a compilation of all of these near-death experiences that people have had. And it's, um, I can't remember the um, the scientist um, that, um, the author, but it's so well done. Anyhow, I'm a sociologist at heart. I love to look at trends and patterns and dissect data, qualitative and quantitative. And that was a big part of my graduate program. But what I love about this book is it's a compilation of all these near-death experiences that have so many similarities and compelling stories that about just how, and there's no, it's not religious in any way. It's just about like the big wonder of, you know, what happens next. And what it does is it makes you fear death less and it makes you appreciate life more and live in the moment and to really take in. And Mon and I train on this and talk about it all the time, but like take in every moment and not stop thinking about yesterday, tomorrow, or be in the moment and um, just how beautiful life is. And so I've started reading it and it's just, it's the kind of book you got to read a chapter, put it down and reflect and then give yourself a little time and then go to the next and the next, but it, it's deep, but it's so enlightening and beautifully done. So that's what I'm working on. <laughs> so I got that one as well. Cause Heather was telling me about it. It was a little too close for home um, of late. So I had to put it down and leave it down for a little bit. Um, so then I picked up another one uh, that I'm reading. It's called um, investing for dummies. Cause um, in the last 20 months, I got interested in the stock market and who knew? I'm pretty darn good at it. So if you want to do another podcast, she is. I can hear you. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so um, I find that very interesting. Yeah, you always got to have a plan B. You never know. You never know. <laughs> so um, I, like it. I find it very interesting. So yeah, that's my fun book right now. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you both for sharing. And again, thank you so much for joining us today to share your knowledge and experience around mental health and wellness. I know there's a ton of resources you've already shared with us that we will make sure to find a way to make available um, to all of our listeners. And with that, I just want to end again by thanking you both Heather and Mara for, for joining us today. And Team, any last words or thoughts? I just want to say we appreciate you and the work that you do and have done over the years. Thank you. Thank you, Mara. Thank you, Heather. Feelings mutual. We want to acknowledge the California Department of Education and the California Collaborative for Educational Excellence for awarding the SOPA Content Lead Grants. 
The AD&D podcast is funded through the Content Lead Grant and enables our team to share the critical work of educators with a broad audience across the state. Thank you to our listeners for sharing this conversation with us. Join us at our next ED&D episode as we continue the journey of interviewing professionals who possess a passion for building equitable educational services for all students.